Good morning, everyone. A couple of days ago on Thursday, it was Ascension Day. Now, I don't know what image you have in your mind when you think of Ascension. Maybe something like this. Jesus floating up into the clouds with the disciples looking upwards in a sense of awe and bewilderment. Now, if that is your image, uh, can I ask you to put it aside for a while? Because quite what happened and how it happened is, is really a mystery. It is something beyond our normal human experience. And therefore, in a sense, something that defies description. Something that can only be approached via metaphor and illusion. And that reading we heard from Luke has, has much of that. It's, it's, it's as if Luke is saying, you know when the psalmist had talked about God ascending? Well, that, that's what happened. So I want to think a bit about ascension this morning. And given that we're in the middle of a series on the Psalms, I want to use Psalm 47 to help us. Not that Psalm 47 explains the ascension, but, but rather it really it gives us words to celebrate the ascension. I don't know if you noticed it, but Psalm 47 is really a psalm of two halves. Verses 1 to 5, and then verses 6 to 9, which, which kind of echo verses 1 to 5, repeating to an extent what's been said, emphasizing it. Uh, so verses 1 and 6, there is, a, there is this call to praise God, this call to worship God. And then verses 2 to 7, for the Lord most high is awesome, the great king over all the earth. And then in verse 7, the echo, for God is king of all the earth. When you think about it, it's an amazing thing for this small, tiny, insignificant nation like Israel, surrounded by superpowers like Egypt, Babylon, Persia to claim that our God is the world's one true king. But that's, that's what they did claim, and they emphasize that in the final verse. The Lord has ascended amid shouts of joy because the shields of earth, that's the world's powers, belong to God. He has gone up very high. He has ascended. These verses describe the coronation, the inauguration of, of God as king. And, and many scholars think that it's referring to an occasion in 2 Samuel when David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem up to Mount Zion. And God went up to, to take his place of authority. But whatever the occasion, the, the point is this, that God has taken up this position, this place, this place of power. And authority. And when as Christians we celebrate ascension, we are confessing that same truth about Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ has been crowned not simply Lord of my heart, not as, as Lord of the church, but as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I kind of wish I could cue Handel's Messiah at this point. So to celebrate ascension is to claim that Jesus of Nazareth, born in a Bethlehem stable, a rabbi, a healer, a friend, a bringer of grace, the one who suffered and died on the cross, that same Jesus has now ascended to the right hand of the creator in heaven as the world's true king. That same Jesus, the one we have seen and heard and touched, lifting our humanity to the heights of the cross, the heights of the throne, sorry, to quote Graham Kendrick. 
Graham came to a particularly great role in one-liners. He came up with some crackers, and that's one of them, lifting our humanity to the heights of the throne. You see, at the right hand of God is someone who has bones like our bones and flesh like our flesh. Someone who knows our name and understands our lives. Someone who has known hunger and thirst and exhaustion. Someone who's known fear and grief. Someone who's been misunderstood and rejected and known loneliness. Someone who has laughed with joy and wept from the depth of their being. Someone who's seen the beauty of the sunset and the ugliness of what sin can do to someone. This is Jesus, crowned with glory and honour. This is the Jesus who will return to the world to heal it and to restore it. He will, if you like, have the final word on human history. Maybe that's the ultimate power. The power to have the final word. You see, the final word does not belong to President Trump or Mr. Putin or the Prime Minister. It doesn't belong to the one with the greatest economic power or the greatest stockpile of nuclear weapons. It does not belong to coronavirus, but to Jesus Christ, to our master, to our saviour, to our friend. He is the one who will have the final word. That's our hope as Christians. Isn't that wonderful? We know the judge of the world and his name is love. Hallelujah. So the ascension represents Jesus' coronation as the world's one true king. But it also represents the, the final chapter in the drama. The drama of salvation that's played out in Jesus' life. In his birth, in his ministry, death, resurrection and then ascension. Esther was, was talking in her part about how we celebrated Easter six weeks ago. And we saw the risen Lord appearing to his disciples. And the Bible hints that for the next 40 days, they, they hung out together a lot. During which time Jesus taught them all sorts of things that they needed to know. Explaining who he was, explaining what had happened, explaining what was to come. But after 40 days, that time came to an end. It was time for Jesus to leave, to depart his work was finished. Sam Wells put it like this. He said he didn't, Jesus didn't hang around to work on a few odd jobs on the edge of salvation. There was no more to do. He'd finished. No more to do. There are times when I really miss seeing your faces uh, when I preach. And that's one of them. Because if I was out there in your place, my eyebrows would have raised a bit at that last bit. There'd have been a questioning look in my eye. Really? All he needed to do? Have you seen the state of the world? What about hunger? What about war? What about disaster? What about this horrible virus that is bringing so much pain, so much damage, so much death? You can't be serious. How can Jesus have finished Well, let me explain. I guess I'm a bit like the disciples looking up, the, looking up to the sky, waiting for Jesus to sort it all out. 
And God says to me, you don't stand there gawping. You've got work to do. That's my paraphrase on Acts 1 verse 11. Eugene Peterson, eat your heart out. Can't believe I just said that. Uh, Sorry, Eugene. Jesus may have finished his work, but mine, but yours has only just begun. If you go back to the creation story, we read how God created the world as his temple, his dwelling place, and he created human beings as his image bearers within creation. In other words, he delegated his rule over the world. He charged humanity to rule over the creation, to subdue it, to bring about its flourishing, to enjoy its rich abundance. We spoke quite a lot about that earlier in the year when we were looking at at creation care. But the point is that everyone would see that God was sovereign king over creation when his image bearers, when, when we were doing what he told us to do. But humanity rebelled. We wanted to do our own thing, to do things our way. And of course, chaos and destruction followed. And so we end up with a place that looks to us like a place over which God was not reigning. And in part, that's what the story of Israel is about as well. A Psalm 47 hints in verse 3. Israel's vocation was to live in such a way that their lives, not just their psalms, but their lives, witness to God's reign and rule in the world. They were meant to be a living demonstration of the truth they proclaimed. They were to be the means by which God's kingship is made concrete in the world. Psalm 47 wasn't just meant to be a text they said, but something they lived. It's not meant to just be a text that we say but something that we live. Remember that song we've just sung, thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. See, the ascension is not just about Jesus. It's about the church, it's about us. It's a passing on of the baton. Over to you, says Jesus, and from now on I will work through you And I will send my spirit to help you. And of course, 10 days after ascension came came Pentecost, the gift of the spirit, Jesus' presence, Jesus' empowerment to continue his work. Jesus no longer has only one pair of hands and feet. He has my hands and my feet. He has your hands and your feet. And he's given us everything we need, all those things that we sing about week after week. He's broken the power of sin and darkness. He's shown us the heart of God. He's broken through the wall of death. He's given us this amazing life with God, this abundant salvation life that that we live in the midst of the broken world, even as we ourselves are broken and being made right and being restored and being healed. Pardon for sin. A peace that endureth, God's spirit to guide, strength for today, and the best hope the world has ever had. Christ reigns not by manipulating human events, 
not by forcing his will on the world, not by magically making everything okay, but by equipping and empowering his people to make, that ro- to make known that reign by the way they live, by the way they are in the world. In northern Lithuania, there is a hill which is known as the Hill of the Crosses. That's a recent picture of it. Uh, it's estimated there are 100,000 crosses on the hill. And during the period when Lithuania was occupied by the Soviet Union, this hill was a place of defiance. Night after night, the locals would place a cross on the hill. And each day, the Soviets would send bulldozers to pummel the crosses into the earth. Again and again, the bulldozers would come. And again and again, the crosses would reappear, testifying to a power far greater than military might, a visible sign of the Spirit's work and a physical reminder that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in 1985, the Soviets gave up Let them have their hill, President Gorbachev is reported to have said. Two years later, Lithuanian students began to demonstrate against the Iron Curtain, against the Russian occupation. And it wasn't long before others followed, and the the rest, as they say, is history. Well, today we face another threat, another crisis. And its impact will doubtless be felt for years, if not for decades to come. And our task, in a sense, is to plant virtual crosses. And we do that through acts of faith, acts of service, acts of caring, through reaching out to the weak and the vulnerable, to stand alongside, as we stand alongside those who do struggle with their mental health. When we practice social distancing as an act of love, even when it's inconvenient, even when we'd much rather be, doing, be getting close to each other, when we make gowns and scrubs for NHS staff and for carers, when we donate tablets so others can get online, when we speak truth to power, particularly when those in power refuse to speak truth, when we honour our key workers in whatever sector, when we ensure that the weakest and the most vulnerable in our society are protected and honoured, those in our care homes, those with learning difficulties, those who live alone, those who do struggle with their mental health, those we we label disabled or homeless, the abused, the lonely neighbour, the victims of trafficking and modern slavery. We plant virtual crosses through our acts of love, through our acts of service. It was wonderful, wasn't it, to have Martin Joseph with us last Sunday. I'm, I'm a big fan. It was, it, was, it was great. It was wonderful. Couldn't quite believe it was happening. Uh, and as he sang that song for the NHS, remember that song called Nigh? Uh, there's a line in that song which, which I think is p- prophetic. Sorry. There's a song, yeah says this, it says, the purpose of power is to give it away. The purpose of power is to lift others up, not to put them down. That's what I see happening in Jesus' life. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, 
giving sight to the blind, cleansing the lepers, welcoming the excluded, forgiving the sinner, proclaiming good news to those whose society regards as nobodies. And that is still how the reign of the King of Kings is made concrete in the world. That is how God's power is displayed. And that is how Psalm 47 is enacted. When we are the living proof. And that's what faith looks like in these strange and trying times. So let's get busy. Because Jesus has given us a baton. And we are to get busy. But before we do that, let's pray. Let's pray. And we're going to do that as we begin by saying some words from, from Psalm 47. We want to read the first part of the psalm, and then I'll pray. So, as usual, if I say the words in the light, and you reply with the words in the yellow. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is awesome. The great King over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord with the sound of trumpets. Let's pray. Risen and ascended Lord Jesus, it's easy to be numbed by the suffering of the world by the injustice, by the violence, by the illness, by what this coronavirus is bringing in its wake. Take us back, I pray, to the deep truth of your power and glory, of your love, your grace, of your kingdom that is is truly coming. Lord, we pray that you would continue to give us all that we need to live the lives that you give to us and to live out the faith that we confess with our lips that in our doing of your will, your kingdom might come. In Jesus' name, amen.